Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm super excited for our guest today. Today, we have an amazing guest, Tom Dunkel. Now, Tom has over 25 years of real estate investment experience, and Tom brings extensive experience to his company, Bellrose Storage Group. Taking the company from startup to world-class organization, Tom has specialized in discounted asset opportunities nationwide since 2006. His financial savvy, open communicative manner and integrity have seen him help alternative investors achieve their wealth building goals. And as a dedicated mentor to investors and entrepreneurs, Tom has also taught classes on real estate and mortgage note investment at CAMA Academy, along with Bellrose Asset Management's co-founder, Joe Downs. And Tom is also a graduate of the University of Delaware. And Tom earned his MBA at the College of William and Mary. Tom, thanks so much for uh, being on the show today. Hey, Yannick, it's great to be with you and, and all the listeners today. Thanks for having me. Sounds good. Well, Tom and I, um, just for a quick backstory, we were in the Rays Masters community. It's a community with Hunter Thompson, helps aspiring investors and active investors with their capital raising. And Tom is in the self-storage space. And before we jump into the details behind self-storage and his acquisition criteria, Tom, give our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Uh, thanks again, Yannick. Yeah, so um, I, I started out after business school in, in corporate America. So I was uh, doing mergers and acquisitions and uh, corporate finance work in the uh, aerospace industry and then software and IT services and logistics. So I had a, had a, ran across in multiple industries, but always doing deals and, and raising capital and that kind of thing. I had a great foundation. I was super lucky to be surrounded by uh, amazing people, especially at the aerospace company. I worked with astronauts and ex-fighter pilots and Air Force colonels and ex-Marines and you know just, just some really phenomenal leaders who had these great careers. And I just was lucky enough to be able to, you know, get in that environment and be surrounded by these these great people. So it was a great foundation for me to to then ultimately leave corporate America and get into my real estate career, which uh, started abruptly in 2006 when I actually got fired from my uh, corporate job, which was the, it was really the kick in the pants that I needed though, to actually go out into the world and, and stake my own claim. Cause I had been wanting to do that, but you know, how do you go about doing that? You know, I had young kids at home at the time, so it never seemed like the right time. But when that event happened, it was like, all right, this is the sign. This is my opportunity to go, go do it. So uh, that was 2006. Obviously, my timing for real estate probably couldn't have been worse. <laughs> and so those next few years were really tough as the real estate market crashed. And uh, you know, I was here. I was a new entrepreneur trying to get my legs underneath me, and the you know markets you know basically crushing me along the way. But it it forced me to you know just stay agile, get around the right people, 
and just stay committed and just stay, you know, gritty and hungry uh, for what I wanted to do. So thankfully, you know, I've been able to create a couple of really nice businesses in real estate. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to have been doing it for 16 years, going on 17. And, you know, we're having a, we're having a really good time here at Bellrose Storage Group. That's amazing. It's so crazy that you pivoted after getting fired. Talk about that a little bit, because I think our listeners today might be in a situation where they're still working their W-2 job and they're trying to become a full-time syndicator, a full-time investor, um, but they just don't have that like extra motivation maybe, right? Because they can be comfortable working a W-2 and you get paid every two weeks and that's cool, right? There's nothing really to change. But for you, I mean, you you got fired. I mean, that's pretty tough. How did you deal with that? getting into entrepreneurship as well? You know, it was certainly not how I would recommend people go about (laughs) starting their entrepreneurial career. I think it's probably better to, you know, you know, commit yourself to learning and getting around the right people. And and if you're still working a W-2 job, you know, which I I would recommend, you know, people continue to do that. And because you're going to have your health care and whatnot. But take those nights and take those weekends and get educated, go to the seminars, you know, hang out with people who are investing or are investors and and maybe hang out with some syndicators or whatever it is that you want to learn. And, uh, you know, just start picking up some things along the way. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you can maybe get involved in a deal. Maybe you can start raising some capital from your friends and family. And that way, you know, if you find a, a sponsor that's raising money for a deal, you know, maybe you can, you know, learn about that whole process by bringing some capital into the deal yourself. But yeah, I would just say, you know, it, it all starts with uh, just having that desire, you know, you got to have that desire to want to make that change. Cause it's for me, right. I had a cushy, you know, six figure job as a VP in a company and, you know, stock options and all that. And, you know, I could have hung out there for a while, but uh, you know, I think it, it's important to you know have those goals and just you know try to make something happen for you and your family. Yeah, totally agree. For context, you know, I I used to work for an asset management um, or private equity firm, and I became full time actually this past April, and um, that was kind of the same thing that I had when I was thinking about what type of control that I want to have in my life, right? And I think. Yeah, entrepreneurship, everything is on you, but also real estate gives you control, I think, right? From cash flow that you can live off of and you can also have profits that you can obviously grow within your business as well. The thing with a job for me was just, I just, I didn't want to have another person have so much control over my destiny. And I think a lot of people, you know, they deal with that on a day-to-day basis, but certainly there's a mindset thing to that when you're jumping into the world of entrepreneurship, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I, I remember being so frustrated in my corporate life. Like here I was, you know, really busting my butt, you know, trying to get ahead, you know, working late, getting there early, you know, but a lot of times I felt like I was out of sync with my boss. Like, was I really working on the stuff that I was supposed to be working on? You know, am I doing a good job? Was I headed in the right direction? Am I, you know, I get up for that promotion, you know, am I up for that raise, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it was just, it was all very mysterious, you know? So, now, you know, having been an entrepreneur running my own company for 16 years, now it's, you know, every day is crystal clear to me what I'm supposed to be working on. So, uh, yeah. so that, that's really what I enjoy is, you know, every, every day I feel like I'm, I'm having an impact and helping 
my business grow, helping my team grow. And, uh, and so that's very satisfying for sure. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay. So you're in the world of self-storage. I actually was on your Instagram, just surfing and, you know, I saw you posting some things on about self-storage and the resiliency that self-storage has to offer. You know, some of our listeners are in the multifamily space. They might be in the retail space, et cetera, but Mm -hmm. particularly within self-storage, you know, give our listeners a little bit more context on how resilient self-storage has been given the inflationary environments that we've been dealing with over the past, you know, 12 months or so. How resilient are self-storage investments? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question, Yannick. And it's one of the things that that we love about self-storage is for 40 years, four zero, (laughs) 40 years, self-storage facility occupancy rates have gently meandered between about 80% and 90% across the country. So that as an investor myself, I love to see that because what does that mean? That means consistent income in good times, bad times, in between times, you know, inflation, deflation, you know, recessions, expansion, you know, all of those time periods that have occurred in our economy over the last 40 years, self-storage just keeps cruising along. And uh, so we, we really like that. And then the last couple of years in particular, demand for self-storage has really bumped up quite a bit because when COVID hit and people were now working from home, that guest bedroom they have down the hallway that's, you know, usually just maybe collecting a little dust, you know, they had to turn that into a an office, right? So they took the bedroom furniture, took it down to the local self-storage facility, and now they have their home office. And, uh, you know, the other thing, of course, was you know, people were going through a lot of turmoil in terms of, you know, their jobs and things like that. And so a lot of people were selling or trying to combine households. And so anytime there's that kind of displacement or disruption, divorce, death, all those Ds, those are drivers for self-storage. So in bad times, People really need storage because they're running into those unfortunate circumstances. In good times, you know, people are buying stuff and they buy too much and they need a place to store it. And, you know, they've got the money. It's not super expensive. And so we put them on an auto pay. And so it becomes like a Planet Fitness membership where it's more of a hassle to try to cancel it than to just, you know, keep going with that $200 payment every month. So uh, there's a lot of really uh, strong drivers right now. One last uh, stat I'll share with you, Yannick, is a few years back, the market penetration for self-storage, meaning the number of households that were using storage was about 9%. Today, it's more like 10.5%. 1.5% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider there's 120 million households across the country, every 1% move is 1.2 million additional households that are looking to use storage. There's only 55,000 self-storage facilities in the country. So that's a lot of demand and not a lot of supply. Yeah, that's uh, perfect how you broke it down. And I can totally understand the demand factors that would be um, robust for self-storage. So where are you currently operating? You know, what's your acquisition criteria? Give our listeners a little bit more context on that. You know, if they're interested in getting into self-storage, you know, where they can find those. You know, we're primarily in the multifamily space. Our portfolio is in Baltimore, Maryland. And I look for self-storage around my area and I couldn't find anything. So, like, <laughs> where are you finding these self-storage yeah. deals? And, um, you know, give our listeners a little bit more context on your acquisition criteria. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, well, today we're in seven states. We're uh, New York. We are in Maryland, White Marsh, Maryland, actually. White Marsh Storage. Uh, they're right on Pulaski Highway, if you know where that is. Yep, uh, definitely. Baltimore. We're in uh, Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and uh, Kentucky as well. So what has drawn us to those markets are um, just, uh, and it's similar to, to multifamily, Yannick, where we, we're looking for a healthy economy, right? We're looking for at least steady population, if not population growth. We're looking for steady jobs and job growth. We're looking for solid per capita income. We're looking for lower poverty, lower crime, and we're looking for a diversified economy. So it's not a one factory kind of town. It could be wiped out. Of course, we're looking closely too at the competition. So first we look at the broader market. And then when we do find a specific facility, we're looking at the one, three, and five mile radius around those uh, facilities. And we're really analyzing that competition. We calculate something called supply index, which is a, a way of figuring how many square feet of self-storage is available in that market per capita in that market. So we like to see that number below seven or eight. Seven or eight is about equilibrium. If it's higher than that, you know, 10, 11, 12, we see that a lot, like in Texas, which is why we haven't bought in Texas. That to us means that that market is, is probably oversaturated with storage. Uh, the facilities we like to see are and acquire are more like in the, you know, three, four, five feet of storage space per capita, because that tells us that that market might be undersupplied and uh, that, that there's going to be demand there that'll allow us to execute on our value add strategies, which is primarily pushing the rates up, up to market. You know, we don't acquire big facilities. We're more kind of a, what I'd say a smaller or middle market player. You know, we're not trying to bang up against, you know, the big private equity firms that have, you know, tons and tons of money. We're mostly in secondary and tertiary markets where uh, there's still, you know, mom and pop owners that we're buying from. But there's you know, still uh, robust economies there. So those are, are the primary things we look for when we're when we're acquiring a facility. That's great. And um, it sounds like like you mentioned, you know, some of the similar demand drivers that uh, maybe multifamily owners or just commercial real estate operators look for as well. Definitely strong population growth and income and all the things that you want to bolster, you know, your property. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so you're in the middle market space, right? What's the scale look like, right? Because I'm I'm thinking in the self-storage space that just like anything, the bigger, the better, right? You want to have some sort of scale behind it. Are you like vertically integrating in a sense from a perspective of acquiring different self-storage properties and close proximity to others, each other to, you know, maximize efficiencies and things of that nature? Give us a little bit context on that as well of maybe if that's in your acquisition plan as well and growth plan. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's a great question, Yannick. And it is something that we are looking at as, as Belrose Storage Group continues to grow. Uh, we've just acquired our 11th facility. We've got over 250,000 square feet of storage now, over 2,000 units across those seven states. And one of the things we are looking at strategically going forward is doing some of that ground up development, you know, building those maybe larger facilities, bringing that construction management aspect in-house, because right now we, we use uh, outside general contractors with that. And there's a lot of companies in our space that are doing those kinds of things. Um, and you hit on something else, which we really try to do as well. When we buy a facility in a particular market, we then go to those facilities in the area, maybe out, you know, maybe 10, 15 miles, and we just give them a call, say, hey, you know, we just acquired this facility, love to get to know you. And, you know, if you're interested in uh, maybe looking at selling your facility, you know, we, we certainly would love to talk to you about that so that we can get those economies of scale and, and you know, so that our marketing can maybe, you know, be more blanketed in that in that market and our management of those facilities can be more efficient. So we, we absolutely look at that as well. And, and, and one of our value add strategies is acquiring facilities that have a little extra land or like an, an old warehouse or something that we can convert into storage. Uh, so something we can do there to, to add more units um, and create some more scale for sure. Totally agree. Okay. That sounds great. I think that acquisition strategy is is uh, really great, especially when it comes to vertical integration and trying to maximize efficiencies as much as possible, sure. because that's really what it's all about in the world of commercial real estate is just trying to maximize your time. You know, these the smaller properties, you know, they can make some money, but they also take a lot of time too, <laughs> which I'm that's pretty right. sure you would agree as well. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It take, takes as much time and effort to do a you know, a 10,000 square foot acquisition as it does to do a 50,000 square foot acquisition. So, yeah, but of course we, you know, can make more money on the, on the 50,000 square foot acquisition. So I like to be smart about it. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. So you're acquiring these properties and, you know, they obviously have some value add concept to it. You know, how are you, you know, maybe putting together a CapEx plan when you're looking at these properties that, you feel that might have some extra value add, uh, you know, opportunities within it. So you can maybe attract higher paying tenants or customers. And then maybe also I've heard a lot about the technology boost that's available out there yeah. to drive more traffic. Can you talk about that from a value add perspective? Sure. Well? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, I'd have to say one of the things um, I find really attractive about self-storage, and just again, as a reminder, I, first and foremost, I'm an investor. I've actually been investing uh, as a limited partner, as a passive partner in um, in multifamily since 2013. So I'm very familiar with that asset class. Um, and one of the things that I find really um, advantageous in the self-storage industry is our CapEx budgets are generally really modest. I mean, let's face it, at the end of the day, it's a metal box with a concrete floor and roll-up doors. I mean, it's we're not trying to win any uh, you know architectural digest uh, awards at at our facilities. You know, we just want a clean, safe, secure, well-lit place where customers you know feel comfortable coming in and and, and storing their goods. So our capex plans typically consist of you know just maybe upgrading the gate and the gate software because each customer has their own unique entry code. And so that way we can kind of track who's coming and going. 
Uh, so that's where the software comes in. And then, uh, and then of course the fencing, you know, if the fence needs to be repaired or if we need to add barbed wire or something like that, you know, we'll do that. If the asphalt is cracked or, you know, puddling or whatever, or what have you, you know, we'll do some grading and maybe some re uh, asphalting. Uh, of course, roofs are important, just like in any, any other uh, kind of structure, uh, make sure that the roofs are in good shape. And if not, you know, we'll look to repair or replace those. But you touched on something else, Yannick, which is huge. Um, and one of the things we, we bring to the table more so uh, to create value that the moms and pops do not is that technology. So when we take over a facility, a lot of times the, the mom and pop owner, you know, they haven't really been leveraging technology. Uh, and a lot of times they're artificially keeping their rates low because they want to keep their occupancy high because they don't really want to manage the facility. Right? <laughs> you know, they want to spend time doing whatever it is they want to do. And the last thing I want to do is, you know, run a website or, you know, do Google analytics or, you know, implement any kind of you know, sophisticated technology. Actually, it's not even very sophisticated technology, but maybe as far as they're concerned, you know, QR codes and things like that, maybe they think are, are sophisticated, but, you know, we come in and we put the facility on our software platform and we're able to uh, rent units to our customers straight from their, their smartphone. If a customer is driving by a facility and they, they're looking to rent a, a unit, there's a QR code um, right on the gate. They can scan that with their phone and just fill out their paperwork right there and go ahead into the, they'll get a gate code. And they'll be able to go in. We'll direct them to their unit and then they can just lift up the door and there's a lock waiting for them right there. Uh, we can also lock out delinquent customers. If, if they're delinquent, we'll make sure their gate code doesn't work. So, you know, that'll be sure to get us a phone call so we can make sure we, they catch up on, on their past due balance. Uh, so we use technology in, in those kinds of ways. And then, of course, from a management perspective, we can see, okay, how many move outs did we have? How many move ins did we have? You know, what are our rate trends looking like? You know, do we have you know low demand for five by fives and high demand for 10 by 20s? So we can kind of gear like how to market the, the units so we can keep them full. I'm really proud about that, that we were able to use that technology to really, you know, maximize the, the value of the facility. Yeah, I love the way that you're leveraging technology. I'm a big fan of technology. And I think, you know, we're in the digital world in today's environment, right? Everything mm -hmm. is going digital. Definitely positioning yourself in the marketplace to leverage those tools to drive the traffic, to have some of those systems and automations that, um, you know, can be tedious, but are super, super helpful, I think is what allows operators to focus on the things that they actually need to do to drive the business forward. But then, you know, like you mentioned, some of the reports and things of that nature and the, the data that you need to actually drive the revenue forward is easily accessible. I really love the way that you you have that as well. And then also the technology aspect from a lease up perspective, I think in today's world, there are two things between speed and consistency that people really, really appreciate. And the example that I give is like Chick-fil-A, right? I've, I've never had a bad time, bad experience at Chick-fil-A because do you know what you're going to get and you get the speed when you go, <laughs> go to get right. your food, right? So uh, no, that's really amazing how you were able to create a business leveraging technology. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and I left out the best part, Yannick, which is it helps us keep our personnel expenses very low because we can have one manager using technology manage a, a facility remotely. 
So that allows us to keep our personnel expense down, which keeps our net operating income up and increases the value of the facility. That's wonderful. Okay. So you're in obviously in acquisition mode, I, I suggest, right? You're in acquisition right. mode and the capital markets are just volatile today. It seems like you just never know where you're going to be pricing your loan at unless you lock in, you know, earlier on, you know, how are you looking at debt? Maybe when you're financing some of these acquisitions and maybe protecting your investors from things that might come in the, uh, in the future. Although we do know from what you've mentioned that, you know, self-storage has been resilient. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's certainly been resilient, but of course uh, it's also subject to the, the ebbs and flows of the financial markets, like you were just talking about. So I guess, thanks to my experience, right. I've been around for a little bit. So uh, I've been seeing what's going on and, and the uptick in rates recently was no surprise for us. So all year, you know, here we are, December 2022, for this entire year, we've been um, underwriting our uh, deals at higher interest rates, and we've been stress testing at, at higher rates and lower loan to value. And not only that, but we've been stress testing our, um, our exit cap rate assumptions, right? Because that can really swing a deal from a, you know, a great deal to a, only a good deal. So we've been stress testing that as well. We, throughout the year, uh, it, I think we started out getting rates, like I want to say like 3.95% on our debt. And then most recently, you know, we've been getting term sheets at like seven, seven and a quarter percent. So that's, you know, it's a big jump. And so our team uh, is very conservative with our, with our underwriting. You know, we've been anticipating this uptick and we've been planning for it and and also in our uh, in our underwriting and our projections and that's again just you know part of what we do is we really do take the job seriously of protecting our investors capital and you know we put money into into every one of our deals we have close friends and family in our deals as as well as you know we continue to attract new investors all the time uh, but i think the reason that they come back and they invest with us over and over again is because at my core, I'm a financial analyst and an investor, right? I'm not like a sales guy. So when a deal comes up, yeah, you know, I'm looking for a lot of reasons to not do the deal. I'm not trying to, you know, spin something to make a okay deal look like a good deal. I put my money where my mouth is. So I want to make sure <laughs> it's going to be a good deal. So, you know, we do stress test the models. We stress test the uh, rent growth uh, the assumptions as well. So yeah, we're, we've been around the block, so we know not to, we like to under promise and over deliver, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. I think definitely agree with you hundred percent on making sure that your investors um, trust you and they believe that you're putting skin in the game as well. I think, especially when, right. you know, things are turning around in the economy, you know, some people might feel a little reluctant to place their capital, but I think, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, is super, super important. So I love, I love the way that you um, invest with your investors as well as we do the same as well. And, you know, just looking at these deals, I think in today's environment, um, you know, given your corporate finance background, you know, my background is in private equity as well. I think that has a lot to do with the training of um, how you look at deals as well, you know, um, especially from doing that over and over again and having that, um, that wheel turning constantly of like, why shouldn't I do this deal from a risk aversion perspective, you know? So I think that's, that's right. um, really, really important for people that are getting into just commercial real estate in general is how do you protect your downside in today's environment? 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I think that's uh, one of the things that's, that's great, right? About whether it's multifamily or self storage or you know medical office buildings, what have you. That, there's that that dirt right underneath. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to zero. That's for sure. I mean, I I lived through the internet bubble burst in the early two thousands and stocks literally did go to zero. <laughs> so thankfully, you know, we're in a hard asset class that provides that security, it has an income cash flow and it, and it has that growth potential. And those are, you know, three things that investors are, are looking for, hoping for, you know, maybe one or two of those. Right. But I think, uh, you know, whether it's multifamily, self-storage, they provide all three of those, the security, income and growth. That's why I love uh, real estate investing. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So Tom, you've been in real estate for quite some time now, you know, 16 years is a lot of time. You've seen different cycles. You've been through, I mean, you started real estate when the recession started, right? I mean, I think I was in the ninth grade. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, if you were to start this marathon all over again, right, what would you do differently that you think would contribute to your success? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you've heard me, you know, use the word team a lot and get around the right people. And you can probably see this book over my shoulder here, who, not how. I mean, the the more I get into my career, the more I realize how important it is to, to have those good people around you, right? Have that team. And I think early on, because I had the, you know, the solid education, I had the great experience with all those great people I mentioned at the beginning. I'd done a ton of deals. I'd you know, done all the modeling and all that stuff. I kind of thought I was invincible when I first went out and, and got fired and booted into the world. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to do this myself. I can do it. You know, I've got this great background and whatnot. And, uh, and that was just, that was just a wrong, wrong mindset. Right. Just like on the football field. Right. You know, there's no I in team and you know what, there's no I in real estate either. <laughs> so, uh, think it's important to make sure you know you're surrounding yourself with those good people and i think had i done that uh, earlier on like in that 06 07 08 time frame and it's not like i was totally by myself i did have you know friends and mentors that, that helped me out and it was just a u- very unique time but you know, i probably could have survived it uh, a little a little better and and maybe bounce back a little faster but uh yeah i'm super happy with with where i am now i think with Belrose storage group you know we've really built it the right way We've got a great team. You know, we've got you know great access to capital, uh, great access to deals. So I'm really excited about how we started this. But it's very different from how I started my first real estate business. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice, man. That's great advice. I think a lot of people, especially maybe your uh, Type A personality folks, who are the ones that are the go getters and the ones who are the alpha males, you know, a lot of times probably struggle with this just understanding that you need a team in this business, right? There are different facets of growing a private equity business from a capital raising, a marketing, acquisitions, operations, you know, and you it's very challenging to scale a company when you're trying to do everything yourself. So I 100% agree. That's very, very solid, great advice. Entrepreneurs, you know, we like to, you know, kind of smash through walls and (laughs) bloody our noses and scrape our knees, you know, just because we need to do it ourselves. And I had uh, 
changed my mindset earlier on, you know, probably would have gone a little farther, a little faster. But like I said, I'm super happy with, with where we're at right now. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, so if our listeners want to follow you, get in touch with their company, and potentially invest with their company as well, you know, what's the best way for our listeners to to follow you and do that? Sure. Well, I yeah, I appreciate Anik. This has been great. Uh, my name is Tom Dunkel. I'm the chief investment officer at Bellrose Storage Group, and we can be found at BellroseStorageGroup.com, uh, where you can sign up in our investor portal, and that's where we communicate our upcoming investment opportunities with our investment community, with our investor community. And uh, we also have uh, some value add kinds of, you know, articles and uh, podcasts and videos and things that we post on our Facebook page at Bellrose Storage Group Facebook page. And as you touched on earlier, Yannick, we're also on Instagram, Bellrose Storage Group on there where we post the same kinds of things. And again, as an investor myself, I just try to uh, just share whatever it is I'm seeing out there whatever I'm learning, you know, just try to share that with our investor community, uh, just to kind of help everybody, you know, get educated, you know, stay on top of things, see what's happening in the market. And then of course, you know, see what's happening uh, here at Bellrose Storage Group. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. We talked about your acquisition criteria, how you guys look at deals. We talked about vertical integration and the importance of that, leveraging technology, in the self-storage space, you know, financing deals today, looking at, you know, how you're looking at debt and, and just protecting your overall investor capital and the, the risk within the deal. So I think there was a lot of content for our listeners to really digest and think about when you're looking at self-storage opportunities. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you for our listeners again for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Let's be great today. Take action. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Tom. 100%. Thank you, Yannick. That was a lot of fun, buddy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.